We turn in God's holy and infallible Word to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, we read this in connection with Lord's Day 51 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which gives us instruction on the fifth petition. As we read 1 John chapter 1, notice especially verses 8, 9, and 10 those last three verses of the chapter. 1 John chapter 1. And here John begins by writing about Jesus. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled... Of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This, then, is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. It's on the basis of this passage of Scripture and on the basis of many passages of Scripture that we have the teaching of Lord's Day 51 of the Heidelberg Catechism found on page 27 in the back of the Psalter. Lord's Day 51, which is the fifth petition. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is, be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood, not to impute to us poor sinners our transgressions, nor that depravity which always cleaves to us. Even as we feel this evidence of thy grace in us, that it is our firm resolution from the heart to forgive our neighbor. 
Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we come to the most humbling part of the Lord's Prayer. Because this morning we come to the part where we have to confess our sins before the Lord. I say this is the most humbling part of the Lord's Prayer because as you work through the Lord's Prayer up to this point, you can pray with a sense of joy and a sense of exaltation and a sense that this Lord's Prayer is such a a godly prayer to make. And, and perhaps we even begin to think that we're such godly people even for praying it. We've prayed for the hallowing of God's name. And we take joy in the fact that we want God's name to be hallowed. This is right and this is proper for us to pray. We have prayed for the coming of God's kingdom. And again, that is such a A godly and noble thing to pray for. Praying for the destruction of all the works of the devil. And praying that God might by his word and spirit rule us more and more. We have prayed for the will of the Lord to be done. And again, that's such a godly thing to pray for. We could even say an impressive thing to pray for. We want God's will to be done. That's our fervent prayer. And... We have prayed for God to give us our daily bread. And here too, with daily bread, there's nothing of guilt or shame in it. Because we're simply acknowledging that as creatures of God's handiwork, we are dependent upon Him for all things. This is an entirely good and proper thing to pray for. But then when we come to the fifth petition, all of a sudden, there's something that changes. So far in the Lord's Prayer, we could have been praying with a sense of joy, a sense of happiness, a sense of having a healthy dependence upon God. Everything sounds fine and proper. And so far in the Lord's Prayer, we might even sound like very godly people, as if there isn't anything wrong with us. We're pretty much perfect. After all, we know exactly how to pray, the right things to pray for. And then we come to the fifth petition. And suddenly we are reminded that our lives do not actually line up perfectly with all these beautiful things that we are praying for. The sad fact is, in our actual living, we are not as fervent for the hallowing of God's name as as this prayer would maybe indicate. In our actual living, We're not as concerned for the coming of God's kingdom as our prayer might indicate. In our actual living, we're not as zealous for the will of God to be done as this prayer might make it sound. And in our actual living, we might not be as satisfied and thankful for bread, daily bread, as this request for bread might indicate. In fact, the longer we consider all these things, the more we see that so often we're doing the exact opposite of of what we've just been praying for. I do murmur and complain. I'm, I'm not always satisfied with just bread. And if we pause a little longer, then what we find in ourselves is a very offensive and rebellious spirit. Even a a sinful nature that is even, as we heard maybe two weeks ago, a, a sinful nature that even screams against 
these petitions that we are bringing before the Lord in prayer. We are sinners. And as sinners, we are wretched sinners. And we can't go on in our prayers without acknowledging and owning that reality. Our prayers might sound so lofty and beautiful, so filled with the Spirit. But at the end of the day, this is the reality. We are poor sinners, grievous sinners in need of grace, in need of forgiveness. And we are debtors whose only plea is the forgiving grace of God. And that's where the fifth petition brings us. And what is especially so humbling about all of this is not just the fact that we are sinners, but the fact that we have to bring our sins before God. You know, we can't just acknowledge our sins to ourselves or or to each other and say, yeah, this is what we've done, and then we cover them up and ignore them and put them off to the side. No, we have to bring our sins before God and lay them out before the maker of heaven and earth. Do you recognize how humbling that is? We're talking here about Jehovah, the Lord of hosts, the God of Jacob, the the one who has created everything, the one who has recreated us in Jesus Christ, the one who is the overflowing fountain of all good and who has been nothing but good to us. And here we are, mere creatures of the dust, and we have to go before this good and glorious God who is light, in whom is no darkness at all, and we have to lay before Him bare our sins and confess them to Him. He is the one who has given us His only begotten Son, that we might know Him and that we might be His covenant friends. He is the one who even has graciously taught us to pray the first four petitions of the Lord's Prayer so that we are taking joy, spiritual joy, in these petitions that we are bringing before Him. And now here we are, having to confess before Him that we have grievously sinned against Him again and again and again. That's a very humbling thing. And yet there's even more. As humbling as all this is, it's even more humbling when you consider the fact that we need to be taught to pray this petition. God is here teaching us to pray this. And then we must consider the fact that this is exactly what is good for us to pray. This is what we need to pray. And God, in His astounding mercy and grace, even takes the time to teach us how to bring our sins before Him in prayer. Do you see the astounding grace of God in this? Not only does He allow us to confess our sins before Him and patiently listens to us as we bring before Him our wretchedness and and our violations of this friendship that He has established with us, but He in fact even teaches us and guides us and leads us so that we learn how to do this. That's exactly how tender and merciful your God is. You sin against Him I sin against Him. And He not only tells us that He will forgive our sins, but He even goes, He even teaches us how to go about the act of confessing our sins properly to Him. And that's so good, beloved, because otherwise, as I said, we we would become so easily proud, even in our prayer lives. 
And at the end of our prayers, we might even say, look at how nice that prayer was. Look at how godly we are for the beautiful things we prayed about. And then left to ourselves, we would avoid any mention of sin at all. And God says, no. But this is my fatherly love towards you. I not only forgive you your sins, but I will also teach you how to confess your sins. I will give you the boldness and encouragement to confess your sins so that you might enjoy a right relationship with me. We need that. It's good for us to be reminded of our sins And it is good to be reminded that God wants us to confess our sins. He he calls us, He requires us to confess our sins, but He wants us to confess our sins so that in the way of confessing our sins, He might forgive them. That's a comforting reality, too. God is not some angry, abusive father who wants us to confess our sins just so that He can pounce on us and rip us to shreds or maybe throw that sin back in our face again. And, and really put us in the dust. No. But God teaches us to confess our sins honestly and openly exactly so that he might communicate to us that our sins are forgiven. And we are cleansed in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and we are indeed his precious children. And so as humbling as it is, it is good for us to study this fifth petition and, and learn how to bring our sin before God in prayer. And now this introduction is getting a little long, but I want to implore you, beloved, even before we get into this material, I implore you, never neglect to pray for the forgiveness of your sins. We see that happening around us. People who call themselves Christians, they, they would appear to be upstanding Christians, and nevertheless... There's never a mention of sin or or an honesty about their sins. Maybe it's too negative, maybe it's too discouraging to think of our sins, but for whatever reason, there's no mention of sin. And our culture itself is a culture that wants to totally erase the idea of sin from our minds. So that we might have diseases, we might have sicknesses and disorders, we might even have weaknesses, we might even have mistakes that we make but we don't have any sins. I distinctly remember when I was a fifth grader, I was at a birthday party for a friend at public school, and I used the word sin in a conversation with my public school friends, and they turned to me and they said, what is sin? That's the society we live in today. There is no sense of sin. It's actually really disturbing. It's hard to imagine how, this is because of God's grace, but how can people live without acknowledging that they have sin in their lives? And yet we struggle with the exact same thing, don't we? How easily can we pray this petition, tack it on to the end of our prayers, yet without giving really any thought to what we're actually praying? Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our many sins. And then someone maybe asks, what sins? Oh, I don't know. I just pray for God to forgive my sins because this is how I was taught to pray. And there's the tendency to not give it much thought. What sins we're actually confessing. I think the biggest issue is this. People don't want to be humbled. 
People don't want to acknowledge their place before God as sinful creatures. People don't want to acknowledge that their lives are not perfect. Because the reality is, if you start going down that road, where does it end? If you start going down that road, you will have to come to the point where you must confess, our lives are not perfect at all. Of ourselves, we are such miserable wrecks and foolish, filthy sinners. And of course, beloved, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't know who Jesus is and and you're not trusting in Him and you don't have His name to call upon, then you're not going to dare walk down that path. But congregation, you and I know the name of Jesus Christ. And we know that in Jesus Christ, God is our Father. And we know that in Jesus Christ, God will graciously, He willingly forgives all our sins. And that's why we can pray this fifth petition, and that's also why it's good to pray this fifth petition. Because in answer to this prayer, God assures us again and again of who we are in Jesus Christ. Well, with that lengthy introduction, we come now to look more carefully at this fifth petition. We look at it briefly with the time we still have, taking as our theme, praying to our Father for forgiveness. We look at three things. First, the astounding prayer. Second, the bloody ground for this prayer. And then third, the humble disposition. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The fact is, beloved, there is only one man who makes this prayer. There is only one woman who makes this prayer. There is only one boy who makes this prayer. There is only one girl who makes this prayer. And that is the man, the woman, the boy, the girl who in fact knows himself, herself to be a sinner who knows he or she has sinned against the Most High Majesty of God, and in his love for God, and in her love for God, he or she is truly sorrow, sorrowful for his sins or her sins. He hates his sins. He's disturbed and sickened by his sins, and he seeks forgiveness. He wants to be made right with God. He knows he has offended God. And he knows that the only way for the offense to be taken away is if God graciously, mercifully forgives him all his sins. That's the man, the woman, the boy, the girl who prays this petition. Do you know there are many who don't pray this petition? I already mentioned that. But there are many who don't think that they have sinned. I remember meeting such a man at a bus stop about 15 years ago at the KDL library in Granville. I don't know how we got into the conversation, but that man very arrogantly told me, he was wearing a t-shirt, and that sparked the conversation, but that man very arrogantly told me that he hadn't sinned for the past 10 years. And then when I acknowledged that I sin frequently, the man proceeded to rebuke me Now, I'm not so quick-witted, but perhaps I should have said, what about the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer? After all, this is a petition that Jesus is teaching us to make every single day. Every day we have to confess our sins. The Lord's Prayer itself refutes that kind of attitude that that man had that I met at the bus stop. Now, that might seem like an extreme example, someone who says they haven't sinned for the past 10 years, But in the book of 1 John, this is exactly the concern that John has in the church. 1 John 1 verse 8, John writes, 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In that verse, verse 8, John is concerned that there might be people in the church who say that they don't have a sinful nature. And in fact, that's very common today. People who deny they have a sinful nature. I don't have sin. And then in verse 10, John writes, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And in that verse, John is focused on something slightly different. He's concerned that there might be people in the church who say they haven't committed any actual sins. That they haven't done anything wrong. They don't have a sinful nature, verse 8, and they haven't transgressed God's law, verse 10. Evidently, this was something John was concerned about in the church. And it's a reality. Think of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They weren't the ones who needed a physician. They weren't the ones who were sick. They had no sin. Lord, I thank Thee that I'm not as other men are. That's a real concern in the church of Jesus Christ, those who think and live that way. And this should give us pause. What about me? What about me? And what about you? Do you know you are a sinner? Are you grieved by your sin? Do I sorrow over my sin? Does it disturb me? Does it sometimes make me sick to my stomach because I hate my sin and I see it? Listen to these words from David. Psalm 102. David says, My heart is smitten and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. Why? Why does David forget to eat his bread? Ultimately, because David knows his sin. Listen to these words from Psalm 38. We just sang it. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones. Why? Because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head as a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. David grieves over his sin. And the point I'm making is the one who makes this petition knows he is a sinner, knows he has grieved God by his sin, and he is sorry for his sin. He knows God is grieved and angered by his sin, and the reality is God is his life. He loves God. God is his joy. His relationship with God is more than everything to him. And so he is sorry for his sin. He's sorry he has offended God. Forgive us our debts. Well, that leads to the question, what is sin? If you notice in the catechism, the catechism uses four words to describe sin. First, you will notice that the catechism uses two different words to uh, express the two aspects of sin. First, the catechism uses the word transgressions. Do not impute to us our transgressions. And that word transgressions has the idea of our actual sins, the rebellion that we act out in life, our trespasses, stepping over the boundary of God's law. That's the word trespasses. Then the catechism also mentions the other aspect, the word depravity. Do not impute to us our transgressions, nor that depravity which always cleaves to us. And that's referring to the depraved, sinful nature that we still carry with us. Even after we are regenerated, we still have that sinful nature that is no good at all. 
that totally depraved, sinful nature, that depravity that still cleaves to us and will cleave to us until the day we put it off once and for all when Christ calls us to glory. Third, the catechism uses the word debts. And, of course, that comes from the Lord's Prayer itself. And I think we're very familiar with the idea of debts. A debt is to have an obligation that you have not fully met yet. You've failed to meet it. And that's who we are. God requires of us that we love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then with both our actual sins and with our depravity, we fail to meet that obligation. We have debts. And then not only is there the requirement to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but there's also the obligation to bear the punishment that is due to the sins we've committed. And that's another debt. And if you've ever been in financial debt, particularly a debt that for one reason or another has turned rather unmanageable, then you know how crushing and distressing debt is. To be in debt is misery. And that's what the child of God experiences when he sees the debts of his sins. He is in misery. He's in misery not merely because maybe he's made a mess of his life, not merely because of the public shame of his offensive sins, but he's in misery because of the guilt of his sins. He's offended God. He knows he is in arrears with God. He is a debtor to God. And as we read from 1 John chapter 1, God is light. God is holy. In Him is no darkness at all. And God will not compromise His good commandments. He is just. And so my sins are miserable because I know I stand exposed to the wrath of God. I know I stand exposed to the just judgment and punishment of God, and these sins are serious. I've sinned against the Most High Majesty of God. My sins are so serious that I deserve everlasting punishment of body and soul in hell. I deserve to be forsaken of God, cast out of His sight. And the reality is, I love God. In Jesus Christ, I love God, and I don't want to go to hell. It's like Jonah in the belly of the whale. I'm in the belly of hell. I don't want God to be angry with me. But the whole difficulty is this. I have nothing with which to pay back my debt. And that's the fourth word that the catechism uses to describe our sins. The word poor. The catechism says we are poor sinners. And that doesn't mean, oh, pity me, I'm poor. No, that means I have nothing with which to make amends. I have no way to pay off my debts. In fact, I only daily increase my debts. I am poor. I am of myself bankrupt. And so what does the fifth petition teach us to pray? The request is simple enough, but it ought to take our breath away. Forgive. Forgive us our debts. God says, ask me to forgive your sins. That's amazing. And the word forgive means to send away. Send them away. Cancel my debts. Or to use the language of the catechism, do not impute to us poor sinners our transgressions, nor that depravity which always cleaves to us. 
And hopefully you catechism students, maybe especially the essential students, remember what that word impute means. To hold to someone's legal record. To make someone legally responsible for something. And in this petition we are praying, Lord, I owe you so much. I owe you so much and I have nothing with which to pay it back. Lord, I simply ask, drop it from my record. Drop it from my legal record. What we are asking is this, Lord, speak to my soul and tell me that thou wilt no longer require me to pay off my debts. Relieve my burdened conscience by telling me that thou wilt no longer demand of me the payment that I should have to pay. Do not impute to us poor sinners, me and all the rest of thy children, our transgressions, nor that depravity that cleaves to us. Beloved, do you realize how astounding this petition is? We don't say, Lord, just give me more time. Give me more time and I will, I will pay off my debt. Just, just give me more time. Don't kill me. Just give me more time. No. We don't also say, Lord, accept my faith as the payment of my debts. No. That doesn't even make sense. We don't say, Lord, please just lay aside thy justice and instead accept my imperfect obedience as the payment for what I really owe thee. No. What we say is this, forgive. Lord, simply send it away. Remove it from me as far as the east is from the west. Cast it into the sea. Do not hold my sins against me any longer. That is an astonishing prayer. I think if you went to the bank, maybe you college students with student loans could maybe try this out. You could go to the bank maybe and ask them if they can forgive your student loans. I, I think if you would do that, any of us, go to the bank and say, will you forgive my loan? I, I think they would be honestly confused with what you're actually asking. What? And, and then maybe they would even scoff at you and mock you. Are you crazy? But do you know what's even more astonishing? What's more astonishing is that God calls us to approach him this way. God says, I love to forgive. I am the God who delights to show my people forgiveness. I do not begrudge my people when they ask for forgiveness. I take delight in it. In fact, God says, I promise to forgive all those who confess their sins to me. It's exactly what we read in 1 John 1 verse 8. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He will. He is faithful and just. We'll look at that in just a moment. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God joyfully forgives the sins of His people. And you know why? It's because God Himself has provided a solid basis on which He can forgive freely all our sins. Namely, the bloody ground of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The Catechism says, that is, be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood, not to impute to us, poor sinners, our transgressions, nor that depravity which always cleaves to us. And one thing that we need to notice right away is this. Notice how the Catechism puts it. 
we make this request for forgiveness already knowing we have the blood of Jesus Christ. The catechism includes a reference to Jesus' blood in the very petition for forgiveness. The point here is, when we ask God for forgiveness, it's not like we're bringing our sins to God without an awareness of Jesus Christ. And we're not simply asking God to forgive our sins with no basis at all, as if we're simply hoping beyond hope that God will simply overlook our sins. Now that sometimes is exactly where we struggle, because we sometimes do try to do that. We take that approach. Because sometimes there are times when we are burdened with our sin and then our consciences accuse us very loudly and we know God cannot be pleased with our sins and we know we have to confess our sins and yet in the moment we've forgotten about the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's where things become frightening in our experience. That's frightening for the child of God because in our minds, We're asking God to wink at our sins and yet we know God can't do that and God won't do that. And it's frightening because we're trying to deal with our sins without Jesus Christ. But that's not how we pray. Notice how the Catechism teaches us. We pray approaching God as our Father who is in heaven in Jesus Christ. And we pray in faith knowing who Jesus is as our Savior. And then when we pray for forgiveness, we still shed many tears. We still grieve over our sins because we know our sins have highly offended God. But we cling to Jesus Christ. And then even with boldness, we go to the throne of grace with boldness and we say to God, Father, thy Son, through his shed blood, has made a full payment for all my sins. Thou art faithful and just, Thou art just to forgive my sins on the basis of Jesus Christ because he bore the punishment of my sins on the cross and he also has fulfilled all righteousness to thy commandments. And I pray, forgive then my sins. Jesus has paid it off. So speak to my burdened conscience. Tell me again that you don't hold these sins against me either. And Jesus' death is the perfect payment for all our sins, isn't it? First of all, it's the blood of the only begotten Son of God. Or as it's put in Acts 20, this is the blood of God in our human flesh. Therefore, the blood of Jesus is of infinite value and worth. It's able to atone for the worst of your sins and the worst of mine. And second, Jesus' death is the perfect payment for all our sins Because God, in His perfect wisdom, designed it, that it should be this way. That's why God came to the earth. That's why God sent Jesus into the earth. Because God is a God who delights to glorify His own name. And He is also the God who delights to show mercy. He is the God of grace and compassion. That's who He is. And He has seen to it in His his own wisdom and love that for all His elect... For all who call upon Him in the name of Jesus, there is a full and free redemption from all their sins found in the atoning sufferings and death of Jesus Christ. That's how God designed it. That His name might receive all the glory. And this is what pleased God. 
And ultimately, that's the explanation for everything, isn't it? It all rests on God Himself. We should ask, what is the ultimate explanation for the forgiveness of our sins? Why is there the reality that there is forgiveness? That there is this reality of forgiveness for sinners. Why did God send Jesus to die for our sins on the cross? Why does God teach us to ask Him to forgive us our sins? Because this is what pleases God. The Catechism emphasizes that also. Right away at the beginning of answer 126. That is, be pleased. All of it. All our forgiveness. All our salvation. It's not because God owes us anything. It's not because this is what God had to do. God didn't have to do anything. He could have justly left us in our sins to perish everlastingly. But all of this, this reality, is because God is pleased to deal with us this way. And this is who you are, beloved, as the elect children of God, as those who are believers. And this is who your God is, the God of mercy. And in His mercy, He not only forgives our sins, but in His mercy, He eternally decreed to forgive us our sins. That's His good pleasure. God has always been pleased to be merciful to you. That's why He sent Jesus to die on the cross. And that's also why He instructs us in this fifth petition to bring our sins before Him honestly and humbly and ask for forgiveness. He wants us to know Him. That He is the God who delights in mercy. Yes, He does also delight in justice. Certainly. All His ways are righteousness. But that too you see at the cross of Jesus Christ. His justice was satisfied on the cross for you. And He also delights in mercy. He is your Father. You are His child. And He wants you to know His love. So yes, you have to confess your sins. But God will also freely forgive your sins on the basis of the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is beautiful encouragement for the struggling, sin-burdened child of God. If there are any here this morning who are experiencing in a particular way the struggle and the burden of your sins, this is who your God is. Pray this petition with boldness, knowing you have a merciful and faithful high priest at God's right hand who makes intercession for you. You have the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Remember that as you look at the reality of your sins, the shame of your sins, the grievous nature of your sins. You have the blood of Jesus Christ. But now there's also this. Just as God is the God who delights in mercy... And he delights in forgiving his people their sins. He's also the God, because he delights in these things, who wants us to look like him. And who wants us to delight in these same things that he delights in. And that's where we come to the humble disposition that is required of us. That's where we come to the last part of the petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the point of that, those words at the end of this petition is this. If we truly understand what forgiveness is, 
If we truly understand what we are actually asking of God when we ask Him to freely forgive us all our sins, if we truly understand what we want God to do in relation to us, then invariably, without exception, we will also understand that this is how we should be willing to behave towards those who've sinned against us. For the man, the woman, the boy, the girl who has seen his sin, who has seen her sin, and who has wept over his own sin with tears of repentance, and who knows that he is a poor sinner who has nothing with which to pay off his debts, and whose only plea is that God freely, graciously forgive him for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the man who knows these things, and who has humbled himself before God, and who has asked this of God, it must needs be that that same man has been so humbled that the attitude of his heart is this. What is the sin that my neighbor has committed against me compared to the sin that I've committed against God? And so the attitude of that man's heart is this. How shall I ask God for forgiveness? When I know what forgiveness is, how shall I ask God for forgiveness and yet deny my neighbor that same blessing that he is seeking of me? Am I better than God? Are the sins my neighbor has committed against me greater than the sins that I've committed against the Most High Majesty of God? So that God should forgive me my sins, but I can't forgive my neighbor his sins. Those sins are too great. Here I am asking God to forgive my sins against him. How shall I refuse my neighbor forgiveness when he truly repents and truly is seeking that forgiveness from me? That's the point. And every time I pray the Lord's Prayer, I am reminded of that reality. That's how Jesus is teaching us. This is the disposition you must have when you're asking God for forgiveness. Recognize what you're asking of Him and let that put you in that humble disposition that you are ready to forgive your neighbor when he seeks forgiveness from you. Now truly, if my neighbor is not repentant, if he doesn't forsake his sin, then I don't forgive him. And I don't fellowship with him either. The Bible is very clear on that matter. God doesn't forgive the impenitent. And neither do we. But the point, the instruction of this Lord's Day is this. I am ready to. And I want my neighbor to repent. I want to forgive. I have the firm resolution in my heart to forgive. Because that's the influence of God's grace upon me. As the Catechism says, even as we feel this evidence of thy grace in us, that it is our firm resolution from the heart to forgive our neighbor. The fact is, if I don't have this grace in my heart, I have no reason to expect God to show me grace in forgiving me my sin. God wants his people to look like him. God requires that his people look like him. This is not a prerequisite for forgiveness, but the two go inseparably together. God forgives his people, and he also works this forgiving spirit within them. And this will be the humble disposition 
of the one who knows what he's actually asking for in this fifth petition. That's the point of the last part of the fifth petition. Beloved, may the Lord cause us to know how great his mercy is. May we be able to confess our sins before him openly and honestly. Do that. Walk in the truth. Walk in honesty with your God. May he then magnify before our minds the atoning work of Jesus Christ. So that even in the way of us being honest with our sins, God might exalt the work of Jesus Christ as he speaks that word of forgiveness and we see how gracious God is. May he speak to our hearts, assuring us that all our sins are forgiven for the sake of Christ. And may he continue to work it in our hearts to reflect his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness in our interactions with each other. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we worship Thee for who Thou art as the glorious God who forgives, who chooses freely to forgive. We stand in awe at the wonder of salvation. All things are of Thee and through Thee and to Thee. And to thee alone belongs the glory and the praise forever and ever. So may it be. And we pray that this preaching itself might be good instruction for us. That in the way of confessing our sins and enjoying forgiveness, thy name might further be magnified and honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.